Hey, it's good to be here to open up God's Word. If you guys have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2 is where we are today as we're walking through verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. Uh, any coffee fans in here? The rest of you need Jesus. No, I'm just kidding, man. Any Starbucks fan? And there's a difference, by the way. All right? Who's a Starbucks fan? All right? Okay, man, I'm praying for you guys, all right? You know... I'm not a big Starbucks guy. I like coffee. I love coffee. You guys know that about me. My wife is. She loves Starbucks. Um, I, I also knew my wife was very intelligent, but I didn't know she was bilingual, okay? So when my wife walks into a place called Starbucks, she starts t- speaking a different language, right? You ever want anxiety and you don't know how to order from there? Go to, go to Starbucks and you'll understand what anxiety is, right? You walk into Starbucks and you might hear a simple order like this. Tall, non-fat latte with caramel drizzle. Not too bad, right? But this is a real order. Are you guys ready for this? I think this is your order, James. I'm not sure. Here we go. A quad long shot grande at a venti cup, half cup, double cup, no sleeve, salted caramel mocha latte with two pumps of vanilla, two pumps of hazelnut, substitute poop, two pumps of white chocolate mocha for regular mocha, a splash of almond milk, add mocha powder, and half brie with no whipped cream, extra hot, with ice, well stirred, and a dash of cinnamon. That's a whole nother language, right? You walk in there, you know, most people, when they walk into, anybody ever ordered that besides James, right? I mean, it, guys, I'm just telling you, it's a different language when you walk in there. Some of you are probably just got, you're getting a hankering, and you want to go get a Starbucks right now, don't you? You're like, I know exactly what that is. I ordered that last week. But for most of us, we're like, what in the world did you just say, right? Here's the thing. Have you guys ever noticed as Christians, a lot of times we're bilingual too, you say normal things like normal people, and then you walk into church and you just start speaking a whole nother language, right? Blessed is in part of every uh, sentence that you say. You just start saying different words, right? And if you're a theological nerd, you might even start saying other words, and people are like, what are you saying? So there are, there are words that we use. If you look it up on the internet, it's called Christianese, right? It's, just, it's a different language, right? We start using words that we don't normally say. And some of those are just words that we say, but some of them are important. By the way, tell my wife I did really good on that Starbucks drink, okay? See, she didn't order that one, but she didn't think I was going to get that. But, but there are some words that we say as Christians in the church that we've got to get. We've got to understand the meaning of them. And one of those words is life-changing. And that word for us today is the word saved. Is the word saved. All of us need to know what God's word means when it says that we must be saved. I remember one day I was sitting in church. I heard, I had heard it my whole life, but I heard the good news about Jesus and coming and dying for me and rising again and, and, and all that he did for me. And that evening, man, it just hit me and I knew God was drawing me to him and I trusted in Jesus and I was saved at that moment. In my life, at, in my home, I like to be outside a lot. Anybody ever do that? Young people don't go outside much anymore, right? But that, about a year later down the road from when I got saved, there was a friend of mine named Chris. And he was two doors down from me. We were really good friends. We spent a lot of time outside playing and, and, and riding bikes, playing ball. And one day, I, I wasn't home. Chris went out by himself. And one of the things that we did, because we were boys and we were stupid, was we, would, we built a ramp, right? And we would go down this hill in his front yard. He had this grassy front yard. And then his driveway even went down that way. And we put a, a ramp at the end of that thing because we were smart. Now, we were smart because we would stand out in the road and make sure that no cars were coming, right? That scared us a couple times. But one day, 
Chris decided he's going to do that on his own. And so I wasn't home. Chris, none of his other buddies were home. And so Chris gets up on top of the hill. He rides down that hill. He goes onto his driveway. He hits that ramp. He goes and he flies out into the road like he had a hundred other times. But the problem is he didn't see what was coming. As Chris landed, there was a car driving by on that road. It was driving a little too fast. That car hit him and sent Chris flying. Chris was unresponsive when they got to him. They called 911. They brought the ambulance and the fire department and the police, and, and they ended up bringing the helicopter to get him to the hospital quicker, and they were able to save Chris's life. He went through a recovery period. But one day, Chris and I were, were chatting and hanging out and playing ball and riding bikes, and he and I were just talking. And I just said, hey, Chris, would you come to church with me? Would you, would you come to church with me? And he just said, man, we, just, we don't go to church. Could you tell me a little bit more about what that looks like? And so we just kept talking about it. And later in that conversation, I asked Chris, I said, hey, Chris, have you ever been saved? And he said, yeah, I've been saved. I've been saved. I said, man, that's great. Tell me about that. He said, you know all about it. That day that I was at the top of the hill and I rode down and I hit that ramp and I flew out in the road and I got hit. Jeff, I flew 100 yards and I was unconscious. They flew me in. The, the doctor saved my life that day. I was saved physically. But I, and then I got to share with him how Jesus wants to save us eternally. As a church family, as we walk through this book of Ephesians and and this morning we're in chapter 2. We're going to see Paul, he just takes the time to explain, maybe for the first time or maybe he's reminding us what it means to be saved. This might be new for you. This might be, you might be uh, just a reminder, but, but I'm looking forward to how God's going to teach us this morning. So would you guys join me in Ephesians chapter 2? Would you guys stand as we read the first seven verses together? And here's the thing, when we read this, we're going to read some bad news, amen? We're going to read some bad news, and we're going to talk about the reality of our life, but then we're going to see some really good news that Jesus has for us. And so let's drive, dive into this text this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul writes this, And you, talking to the church, the Christians, he said, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray this morning, church. God, we love you. We thank you, God, that when we were least deserving, you rescued us. And so, God, as we take the time to walk through the word of God this morning in these seven verses, we pray, Lord, that you would teach us, you would remind us, you would enlighten us, that you would instruct us, God. And we pray, Lord, today that if there's someone here today that says, you know what, I've never been saved. I've been saved physically in many different ways, but I've never been saved eternally. We pray, God, that today would be that day where you draw them near to you and they respond for salvation. So, God, we give you our time. And, God, we, just, we pray, Lord, that you would be in charge of this, help us give you the distractions. And just be attentive to you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As we read through, we didn't look at verse 8, we'll look at 7, 8, 9, 10 next week. But in verses 5 and 8, Paul makes this huge statement that, we, that will really drive our focus for the next two weeks. He says in verse 5, he says, you are saved by grace. Or your translation might say, by grace you have been saved. 
When I hear the word saved, I'm just going to tell you, it pumps me up a little bit. I get a little excited when someone gets saved. Are you with me, church? Man, it's just an exciting moment. And I'm going to explain why as we go through this. But for many, when they hear that word saved, they might not understand what the Bible means whenever it uses the word saved. It might be like walking into Starbucks and not understanding. Why can't, by the way, why can't they just say small, medium, and large? Man, they got to say like venti tall and Wesley. I don't know what the other one is, man. Just talk English, right? But here's the thing, man. When we talk about the word saved, according to the Greek language, when we open the the New Testament, it uses this particular word to describe someone being rescued or being saved. That's exactly what it means. Some of the time, (coughs) 25% of the time it uses it, it's talking about a physical saving or a healing or a rescuing from danger or for an illness or from harm. But 75% of the time we see this used in the New Testament, most of the time we see this word, it is focusing on the spiritual or eternal saving. This is a saving or rescuing, not of something physical like Chris experienced, but rescuing from sin and judgment. It's a spiritual and eternal rescue. And that's how he's using this word here. And so Paul is saying, hey, by God's grace, you didn't deserve it, but by God's grace, you have been rescued. You have been saved eternally and spiritually and for many in here today paul is reminding us hey as you walk with me as we walk out this christian life together let me remind you of where you were before jesus this is what god did for you here is why he saved you here is what he saved you from maybe you're in this room today and you say man i just i don't understand what it means to be saving or to be saved you might not understand what this has to do with you and so you might ask man why do i need to be saved And so whether we're reflecting on that moment or looking forward to that moment, man, why do I need to be saved? I'm glad you asked that question, right? I didn't hear you ask it, but I know you wanted to ask the question, why do I need to be saved? And we're going to hear from God's word today on that. So if you have your bulletins, um, you're going to see the very first thing on there. It says, why do I need to be saved? I wanted to see a show of hands real quick. My wife gave me a hard time. If you look on the back of your bulletins, it's full of notes. You guys like more space to write or do you like whenever we have a whole lot of notes on there? Who likes more space? All right. I win. Okay. I win. She's not in here. Okay. Why? I'm going to be in so much trouble. Why do I need to be saved? What is it about my life eternally and spiritually that needs saving? Because you might, you might look at your life, you might look in your mirror and say, you know what, man, I'm not a bad person. I'm not hurting anyone. I haven't been to jail for the things that I've done, right? But Paul really lays it out for us why you and I and every other person needs to be saved by his grace. Look at me at verse 1. Paul writes this. He says, he just starts out, he gets some, he gets some great news right from the beginning. He says, and you were dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. Bless you. Now remember, Paul is writing this to those that have already been saved, right? So he says, this is who you were. This is your condition before you were saved. And if you are not saved, he's saying, this is who you are now, right? We need to understand that this is who you are now. So why do or why did I need to be saved? The first answer to this question is this. I was dead in my sin, I was dead in my sin. The word dead here means this. It literally means, in the Greek, without life. It means lifeless, breathless, or it's speaking of a corpse. And I'm going to tell you what, church, when we think about our eternity and God's word, that the creator of all things says, listen, listen, without Jesus, you are spiritually dead, 
You are lifeless. You are breathless. I'm going to tell you what, church, you might want to listen. You might want to listen. And I've heard people, many people say this. Well, Pastor Jeff, I've always been saved. I've always been a Christian my entire life. Here's the reality this morning. That's not true. God is telling us this morning this. God is saying no one has always been saved. Are, we, are, we, are you with me? No one has always been saved. No one has always been a Christian. He's saying this. Each person at one point in their life was spiritually dead until Jesus came into their life, until they responded to Jesus' call in their life for salvation. We look, we see that here that says you were dead in your sin, right? Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned, right? If you're part of all, then you've sinned, right? You've fallen short of the glory of God. And this word dead carries the meaning to be separated, We'll talk about that a little bit more, but it means to be separated from God in this passage. Because of sin and trespasses, you were dead eternally and spiritually. Now, we could go deep into these words, trespass and sin, but I just want to help us understand what they mean. Here's just a a, a real short, simple definition of what this is. Our trespasses is this. Anybody ever been hunting or fishing and crossed over that line that says no trespassing? Yeah, me and my buddy did that a couple times. And one time we got chased out with a four-wheeler with a dude holding his rifle, man. We were like, okay, we're running, right? We won't do it again. And we did it next week and we got chased again. And so there's a reason. I'm not, don't do that, okay? It just wasn't smart. But when it comes to trespassing, that speaks of God laying out for us his design, his boundaries, right? And we rebel against those. We cross that line, That's what the word trespass means. It's saying that in our choices and our actions, we chose to rebel against God's design. We stepped outside of God and his design. And so when we look at sin, it's along the same lines. It means to miss the mark. What mark did God set? We missed that, right? To violate God and his law, it also means to wander from what is right and good in the eyes of God. And I might be wrong, but I think I could be willing to say that each person in here or each person listening online today or watching online today would probably say, I'm not perfect. They might say, I'm a really good person. They might say, my good outweighs my bad. They might say, you know, I'm, a, I'm really close to being perfect. I'm going to make up real quick. Baby, that's you, okay? That's my wife right there, really close to being perfect. Come on, people, help me out here, okay? But we all know that we've messed up. We all know that we've got sin. You might not call it sin, but that's what it is. We all know that we've messed up. And because of that, God says that we are spiritually dead. Right? To give us a picture of this, an example, I want us to look back to Genesis. We're going to go all the way back to Genesis. You guys can look in there if you want, or you can look up on the screen to help us understand what Paul is saying here. When he says that we are dead because of our sins, he's going to give us a great example. In Genesis, we see that God created all things. God created all things. How did he do that? He spoke them into creation. My son, I walked into his room this morning. He's in there making all these noises, whoop, whoop, and, you know, sirens and all that other stuff. He had created some sort of thing out of Legos. He created something, right? He's a Lego nerd, right? Good stuff, right? The Burnett's like that a lot. They're Lego people. But he didn't create what he made out of nothing. God spoke, and it says, okay, it came, right? That's what happened. But with us, with mankind... Look what happened. Look what God did with us. He didn't just speak. He says in verse 7, Then the Lord God formed 
That word form is very important. That's talking about it was an, it's an intimate, it's a, it's a relational word. It's a, it's a word that says that he did something, right, for us. He formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. That word man, it speaks of mankind. It's speaking of Adam at this particular moment. God had created man and woman. Here's what he made us for, to know him. He created us to know him. He created us to love him. He created us to live in a relationship with him. And so he takes Adam and Eve and he placed them in the Garden of Eden. And God tells them this in verse 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded. He doesn't suggest. He doesn't say it'd be a good idea. He commands the man, Adam, saying, from any tree of the garden, you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you do eat from it, you will surely what? Die. You will surely die. God created us, church, to love him and to be with him and to trust him and to walk with him and to be obedient with him. And God is love. And in a true relationship, there has to be freedom. God doesn't want a robotic relationship with us. Amen, church? He doesn't want that. And so he gave them freedom. And God lays out for him. He says, hey, guys, you guys have dominion over all of this. You get to name these cute little animals. You get to do all this stuff. I don't. I think mosquitoes came from the fall, right? I think it came from sin, but I'm not quite sure. But, you, you know, he gives them dominion over all these things. He said, you can go here. You can go there you can do where you can go where and do what you'd like to do but there's just one tree one tree don't eat from it don't eat from it and in that love relationship we even see this in the new testament john jesus says in john that if you love me jesus says if you love me you will keep my commandments right and so here god is saying i love you you love me here is my commandment and because you love me you're going to keep it right and here's what i'm telling you to do only one thing don't eat from that tree or you will surely die to die carries the idea of separation. It's a physical separation from this life. When we die, we are no longer a part of this world. We are physically separated from that. When we spiritually and eternally die, we are now separated from God. You guys catch that? We are separated from God. Now we turn over to chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we don't know if this was the next hour. We don't know if it was the next day or 50 years down the road. But here is what happened. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Satan came and he did what he does he came to lie and deceive and destroy and he challenged what god had told adam and eve satan satan comes and he challenges eve and he tells eve he said eve eve, eve you shall not surely die but in fact you're going to be more like you're going to be like god trying to entice her and here's what happens next when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit, and she ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, men, before we pick on Eve, or before we pick on ladies, notice it says that Adam was with her. Let me be very clear, men. Adam was supposed to lead and protect her. And what did he do? He stood back, and he watched Satan deceive her and let it happen. He watched Satan deceive her and mislead her, and he let her do that first step. The reality is, both of them sinned against God. Then immediately, this is what happened in verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Side note, do we see what Satan does? The Bible says that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
That's what he does. Satan challenges what God says. He says contrary to what God says. He deceives us and he lies to us. And often we follow that, don't we, right? And that's important as we continue. We're going to see that every single one of us has followed that at some point in our life. We're going to come back to that. But God says one thing. God says one thing. But we or someone else or Satan says something different and we choose to follow that. Here's what happened. God gave a command. Do whatever you want, but don't eat from that one tree or you will surely die. Verse 6, they both ate. Verse 7 and 8, here's what we see. Church, there are consequences for sin. We get that? There's consequences for sin. There was brokenness in their relationship. There was brokenness in their relationship with God. There was shame. There was guilt. And we will see that there was also death because at one point they're going to die physically. But here's the important part we see in verse 8. It says that they... The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. God created them, God created you and me to know God, to love God, to walk with God, to be with him, to follow him. That's why we were made. That's exactly why we were made. The days before this happened, they were experiencing God coming in the cool of the day. They experienced his presence. They enjoyed that relationship. They enjoyed that closeness. They enjoyed that fellowship with him. They enjoyed walking with him in his design. They enjoyed his protection. They enjoyed all of that. But that day, because of sin, they were now separated from God, and they died. Physical death is now part of the picture, but also there was no more life. There was no more breath in their eternal and spiritual life. They died spiritually because eternal life is in God. Do we get that? Eternal life isn't in doing good. It's not in anything like that. It's not in a religion. It is in God himself. And because they sinned, they died spiritually and God, they were separated from God. Now you might ask, what in the world does Adam and Eve have, and and, and all of that have to do with me? That was a long time ago. Here's what that has to do with me and here's what that has to do with you. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death through sin. You're like, that's still about Adam. And so death spread to all men, all mankind. Why? Because all sin. If you have sin in your life, just one tiny little sin, then you are spiritually dead. Without being saved, we're separated from God. We are all eternally and spiritually dead. So, so why do I need to be saved? Right, Because there isn't one person in this room that has not sinned. Right? And because of that sin, the Bible says that we are dead in our sin. Reason number two, because I was disobedient in my walk. We've already covered some of this, but verse 1 and 2 says this. And you were dead in your what? In your trespasses and your sins, in which you previously Lived. The word live there is often translated walked. Here's what it means. It describes how we live our life. That word to previously lived or walked, that's how you did life. That's who you were. So here's what this is saying. This disobedience is part of who we are or part of who we were. It's in our nature. With Christ, before we're saved, it is within us. Jesus says if you have sinned, then you are slaves to your sin. Right? It's part of who we are. Without Jesus, without Christ, to live outside of, the, outside of God and his design, that is who we are. It's in our nature. Let me give you an example. This is going to be a little bit funny, but it's a good example that's in our life. As we raise our kiddos, we don't have to teach them to be bad, do we? We don't have to teach them to be bad. Now, there's definitely some things that they learn by watching us or by watching others, but we don't have to teach our kids to be bad. Why? Because they came home with that from the hospital. 
We spend a ton of time teaching them how to make good decisions, teaching them how to treat people, teaching them how to be good. Or my kids, I treat them how to treat their mom like a lady. Are you with me? To treat them how to be a gentleman, those types of things. We spend a lot of times doing that. But, but what they learn bad things from us, they do, but they don't need us to teach them that. They get it on their own. It's part of who they are. Now, I know some of you are going to look at me crazy and not, you're going to say, not my sweet little Betsy Lou. That was your first mistake, Betsy Lou, right? But here's the thing, man. Betsy Lou can never be bad. But it's true. If you believe the Bible, you have to believe that. The Bible tells us that's who we are and that nature and, and that sin nature that we're born into. You need a little bit more proof. Jesus says in Matthew 15, 19, here's what comes out of your heart without Jesus. Are you ready? It's going to make you feel real good about yourself. Evil thoughts. Murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, and slander. That's how we came into this world. With a heart that is bent towards living and walking outside of God's design. With a heart that is bent towards disobedience to God. That's how we were, that's how we are, right? So why do we need to be saved? Because we rebelled against God and we sinned against God and we're disobedient in our walk. We need to be rescued from that. Why? Because that sin leads us to be spiritually dead. And so Paul goes on to describe that a little bit. He's like, well, how, how did we walk in disobedience? Instead of following God, how do, how do we do that? Here's what he says, verse 2 and 3. You previously lived according to the ways of the world. You previously lived according to the ruler of the power of the air of the spirit now working in the disobedience. Paul throws himself in there. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. So why do we need to be saved? Because we are spiritually dead, because we are disobedient in our walk, and because we are following the world, Satan, our flesh, and our thoughts. It says it right there in the text. We are following the world. We are following Satan. We are following our own flesh and our thoughts instead of God. When we follow the world, here's what that means. We're controlled by the world's influences. We're led by what the world and the culture around us values. Right? We assume the attitudes and the habits and lifestyles. Church, I'm telling you, man, you don't believe it. Look around. Look at what the world says and what God says. Instead of living according to God's word, we live according to the world. What else do we do? We live, this is a crazy woman, we live according to the power of the, the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now walking in the disobedient church. This is it's just true. We got to believe it. It's in the word of God. Instead of following God, the Bible says we followed Satan. There ain't no 50 shades of gray. There's white and there's black, baby. Are you with me? Man, we either follow the Lord or we're following Satan. The New Testament describes Satan as the ruler of the demons. He calls him the ruler of this world, the God of this age. And what does Satan do like he did with Eve? He holds out this bait because it's enticing. It looks good and we want it. And because we are people that are sinful, we take that bait and we disobey God. And what does it do? It makes us feel real good for a few minutes or a few days or a few years. But it's not long lasting. And Paul said that we are followed or that we followed the world, Satan, and our own flesh and thoughts. We're like, well, that can't be too bad if I'm following my own flesh and thoughts. Well, let's see what the Bible says about that. Galatians 5.19 says this. Now, here are the deeds of your flesh. They are evident, which are this immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy and drunkenness, carousing and things like these. That is what our flesh and thoughts leads us to. Instead of following God, we are disobedient because we follow them. 
So we need to be saved. Why? Because we're spiritually and eternally dead. Why? Because we're walking in disobedience. And third comes from verse 3. We were nature, we were by nature children of wrath. Here's the reality. I needed to be saved because I was doomed spiritually and eternally. I was doomed spiritually and eternally, right? I know you're thinking, come on, Pastor Jeff, this is a tough morning. Doug, give me a little bit of stuff, right? Don't worry, the best news ever is coming. Just hang tight. Can you do that for me just for a little bit? Hang tight just for a minute. But this is the reality. Because of our trespasses, because of our sins, because of our disobedience, we are now destined for God's wrath. We don't like to talk about that. Here's the thing. Let's start and talk about who God is, right? We want God to be who he's supposed to be. He's holy and he's perfect and he's righteous and he's just. Are you with me, church? There's no sin in him. And so that's who he is. He is perfect and holy in every way. And because of that, church, he will not be in fellowship with sin. He can't. He can't be in fellowship with sin. It's impossible because he is holy. He is set apart. He is just and he is perfect. He's not like us. He's not our homeboy. He's perfect and holy. And because he is holy and just and perfect, his nature demands that he pour out his wrath on sin wherever it is found. And if there is, wrath, if there is sin in you, guess what? Here's the reality. When we think about God, we want God to fit in our box and fit in our lifestyle, don't we? We do, we do, we, we do that all the time. But if for one moment, hear this about God, if for one moment God did not pour out his wrath on sin, he would cease to be holy. Do we get that? That's how set apart he is. If he did not pour his wrath out on sin, he would no longer be holy. And if he seeks to be holy or ceases to be holy, he is no longer God. In our minds and in our culture and our way of doing things, we're thinking, man, I, I'm not that bad. Like, well, I don't need the wrath of God, right? I, I can just live a good life. If I can just do a whole lot of good things, if I can just love people and be kind, that's the, that's the key word today, just love people, and we should, by the way, then God and I will be okay, we'll be homies, we'll be tied, all will be forgiven. But if that were true, if God looked over even one simple sin, God would cease to be holy. So since there is sin in my life, in your life, God's wrath must be poured out on that sin. And there is nothing that you and I can do about it. We cannot save ourselves. That's the fourth reality. Why do I need to be saved? I was unable to save myself. The Bible says in Romans 5, 6, says that we were helpless in our condition. I know you're thinking, I am so glad I came today. Right? I get to hear about how I am dead and disobedient and following Satan and flesh in the world. and I'm doomed. Oh, and there's nothing I can do about it. Thanks. I'm glad I came today. But here's the reality. We need to know. We need to know. We need to realize. We need to remember. that. So, so that why? So then we know we need rescued. If we don't believe that, there's no reason to be saved. Right? But that's who we are. Just look at your life. It's true, right? The reality is we are in big trouble and there's no way out until Jesus enters that picture. 
So we know that we need to be saved, we need to be rescued, and we know that we cannot do it ourselves, right? Because we're spiritually dead and doomed spiritually, right? Jeff, when you get into the good news, here we come, right? We come to verse 4, and I think we should highlight these first two words, underline it, circle it, I don't care what you do. Whatever you do to bring attention to it, do it to this. Who can save us? The answer comes in verse 4. But God. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for you and for me, he made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. God is holy. He's just. He's righteous. But he's also rich in mercy. He's also full of great love for you and me. He knew we were dead spiritually and that we were bound to stay that way on our own. He knew we needed rescued. And so he came down to be the rescuer, to be the savior that we needed. Think about this. He had everything he ever needed or wanted, but he chose to come down to live like us. Check this out. Here's what it means to be saved. You were dead. You were disobedient. You were doomed and helpless. But God. Say it. But God. Yes, I was dead in my sins, but God. Yes, I was disobedient, but God. Yes, I was dominated and persuaded and led away by the world and Satan and myself, but God. Yes, I was doomed spiritually and eternally, but God. My wife does something really good with our boys when they get in trouble. Certain times, you know, they get their punishments. We all have how we do that at home. And it's really funny. I'll walk in there sometime and I'm thinking that they're going to be crying because they got grounded or got their Legos taken away or something like that. And my son would come out, hey, daddy, I deserve to get in trouble, but mom had grace on me. They are seven and six years old. That's what they say. But we've taught them that. Why? Because that's what God did for us. Dad, I deserve to, I deserve this. I deserve to be in trouble, but mom had grace on me. But Jeff, you just said that God had to pour out and judge, right? Pour out his wrath and and judges because of that sin. Here's the reality. He did. Listen to this verse. Listen to this. Romans 5, 6. While we were still helpless, couldn't do anything about it, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8. But God demonstrated or he proved his, unlo- his own love toward us. We say we love people a lot, right? Right? But God says, here, let me show you. And that while we were yet sinners, he didn't wait. Hear me out. He didn't wait for you to get your life together. He didn't wait for you to get all fixed up, right? He didn't wait for you to go through the car wash and look all pretty. He says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood when he died on the cross and shed his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him, through Jesus. There's more. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man, which is Jesus, did not come to be served. Served means he's going to bring something that we can't get ourselves. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For in, in the Greek means in place of. So he gave his life as a ransom in place of yours. The penalty was to be paid. Jesus came to pay that price. He came to bring us what we could not do ourselves. He saw our situation. He says, I got you. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made him... The Father made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on your behalf and my behalf, on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. One more, John three sixteen. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten Son, God the Son, Jesus himself, that whoever 
believes in Jesus shall not perish, but have eternal life. The wrath had to be poured out, but Jesus took it. He bore that. He carried that for you and me. He came to rescue and to save us, right? When we look at John 3, 16, we often focus on, but God is love, and he is. We focus on the love of God. We should do that. But also see that in when we, we, when we believe in Jesus, there's a response there. We go from being dead to having eternal life. You know what that means? That means we go from being spiritually dead and separated from God to being part of the family of God. And through Jesus, we have that eternal life. God the Father accepted Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for you and for me. And because of this, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He doesn't say you have to earn it. He doesn't say you have to deserve it. He doesn't say you have to do so many things and check the list off. He says, call upon the name of the Lord for him to save you. So what does it mean to be saved? From our text today, here's some notes. Four realities of what it means when we surrender to Jesus and are saved by his grace. Being saved means this. Being saved means I experience his rich mercy. We've already seen this, but it says in verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, when we deserve nothing, God the Father in his love sent Jesus, God the Son, to the cross in your place, in my place. And we, in turn, get to experience, when we know Jesus each and every day, we get to experience his rich mercy that never runs out. If you're married, you know mercy sometimes runs out, amen? You have kids, you know sometimes mercy runs out, amen? But not with God. Being saved also means I am loved by God. This isn't I love chocolate. This isn't, this is real serious for me, golden Oreos, double stuffed. Come on, Jason, that's, that's the real stuff, man. Agape love is this. From God, it is sacrificial. It is unending. It is restoring. It is healing. It is true. It's the deepest kind of love you can ever have. And God demonstrated that. He proved his love for us. How did he do that? He died on the cross for you when he did nothing wrong. And again, we deserved nothing. God knew our condition and knew it was because we sinned, but Jesus came to die in our place. That's love. Being saved means this. Oh, how sweet this is. I am made alive with Christ. But God, in verse 4 and verse 5, he made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. Church, we were separated from God. We were dead. We were spiritually and eternally breathless, lifeless, like a corpse unable to save ourselves. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive into a little bit deeper than that. You know what that means? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you. I accidentally had Ghostbusters on at my house. Accidentally. I like Ghostbusters. But my kids walked in at the moment where the librarian, that ghost, comes and is like, Wah! we had to have the conversation about ghosts. All right? Don't do that. But here's the reality. When we die, there's no other dimensions. We go to heaven or we go to hell. That's the reality. It's not a popular statement. You're like, well, I don't know. Other religions, I don't care what other religions say. I care what this says. I care what the word of God says. Amen? That's what we should care. We should care about what the word of God says. And he says, when you die, if you know Christ, absent from the body, you are present with the Lord. Guess what else that means? If you're separated from God eternally, absent from the body, not present with the Lord. 
spend eternity in a place called hell that was never designed for us. It was designed for those for, the, for Satan and the demons. But guess what? When we follow him, that's what we deserve because we're separated. Because of our sin, we deserved and earned that. But God made us alive with Christ. We're no longer separated from God. Because of Jesus, he, he restores that relationship. Jesus says in John 17, 3, that to have eternal life is to know God. Right? It's to know Jesus. Jesus came in your place because he's full of mercy and he's got great love for you. And because of him, you were once dead. But if you know Christ, you are now alive and you're saved by Jesus. If you don't know Christ, you are currently dead in your sins. But Jesus says, I came to save you and make you alive. That's what he's saying. We have a new life. The old life is gone. We're no longer spiritually and eternally dead. We are alive. You see, when Jesus came, he did suffer. He did die on the cross. He was buried, but he did not stay dead. He rose again. Praise God. And that leads us to the fourth reality. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming age he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Being saved means this. Not only am I alive, but I am raised and seated with Christ. Here's the reality. When Christ rose from the dead, which he did, we rose with him. So what does that mean? We walk in a new life. It's not a better life. This is not living your best life now. This is Jesus saying, that one's trash. I've got a new one for you in the way that I made you to be. It's a new life, a new quality, and a new character to our life, right? And we're seated with him. There's only one Jesus, amen, and he sits on the throne. And one day, whether we do it while we're here on earth or not, one day every knee will bow that Jesus and confess that Jesus is Lord, whether you like it or not. One day, because he is, that's who he is. There's only one Jesus. He sits on the throne, but to be seated with him, this speaks to who we belong to speaks to us belonging to and with jesus this speaks to us having our eternal citizenship in heaven my dad used to drive me nuts he'd always say man this isn't my home i'm just a passing through right there's some kind of song about that or something guys we might be americans but the best thing is be citizens of heaven amen Being saved means we deserve nothing. We were sinners. We deserve death. But by the grace of God, because of his mercy and love toward us, he made it possible. And if we believe in him and call upon Jesus, we will be saved. The Bible is clear. Believe in the Lord and you'll be saved. It's not hard, right? Believe that you were a sinner. Believe that you were spiritually and eternally dead, separated from God. You're unable to save yourself and know but God, right? But God made it possible. Romans 10, 8 says this. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? Do you know that you're a sinner? Do you know that that means that you're dead spiritually and you need a Savior? Do you know that Jesus came to die in your place? The question is, is is God calling you to follow him? I'm not asking you to be religious. I'm not asking you to switch your music style. I'm not asking you to change your clothes. I'm not asking you to get a cross tattoo on your arm. I'm asking, do you know Jesus? Is he calling you to follow him? And will you surrender to him? That's what I'm asking. Will you let him save you? Will you let him make you alive and give you a new life? By the way, if you're here today, I want you to know, man, you have been prayed over today. You've been prayed over today. If you don't know Jesus, Satan wants you to stay right there. That's what he wants for you. Will you let Jesus save you? If you've already been saved, will this reality, this reminder change you today? Because if we go back and we remember all that Jesus did for us, it should change how we live. To be reminded of who we were before Jesus. As Christians, we're no better than anybody else. You guys get that? 
We're just sinners saved by grace. Let's pray.